All right, everybody. So today, back on the podcast, we have Abel Chabai, Jeffrey Verity Schofield, and Natural Hypertrophy. How are we doing, guys? Pretty good. good. Rocking a lot of blue and beards today. So ah, yeah. Pretty good. That's funny. <laughs> we always have a theme every single time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have blue as well. You're just disguising it. Yeah. Good. So uh, I don't know the last time we actually all got on the round table. It's, you know, you kind of lose track. But uh, a few different topics today. I want to dive into some some stuff based on psychology of lifters, some stuff just on like recent topics. Um, so right now, we were just talking before we started recording. Abel is kind of cutting down a little bit. Jeffrey, you're pretty deep into a cut, right? Yeah, last two months. And then NH, what are you doing now? I'm finally bulking. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, that feels really good. What's <laughs> your... So you say finally, meaning instead of just kind of recomping. Yeah, yeah. After the three years of just staying at the same body weight and just getting stronger, more volume, and trying to get rid of unnecessary fat, I'm at a point where I can finally like entertain some extra fat so that I can gain some mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what are you up to now, weight wise? Two fifteen. Okay. So, do you guys find that there's a significant difference in your cardiovascular conditioning and even just like life, like going upstairs, things like that, when you're pretty lean compared to bulked up? For me, I can start. Um, I don't let it happen because to me, it's a good indicator if you're going too deep into the bulk. If you start to pant when you go up the stairs, if you start to have some ankle pains or even any level of joint pain during mildly intensive activities, it's that the body at some point is sending you signals. So for me, it's uh, it's the same. It's the exact same because I also train using supersets. So if I were to lose cardiovascular uh, abilities, I would not be able to perform in the gym. How about you guys? Um, for me, the biggest difference was at like 225 or so, my feet would hurt walking around. Like when I tried to start walking 15,000 steps a day, my feet were not happy with that at all. Whereas now it's hard to say if I've adapted because of just doing the steps and adapting to that or because I'm, you know, 25 pounds lighter. Um, but yeah, I can walk 15,000 steps a day now with, with no problems. As for getting out of breath, that was never really an issue. It was just like the structural. I mean, I, I know that if I tried to run at 225, it would just mess me up. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, 200 pounds, uh, I would say it might be might be actually doable, uh, but in terms of like, you know, getting winded after squats or something, or walking upstairs, no, not at all. At at two fifty or something, yeah, I could see that maybe being an issue, but two twenty five was totally fine. Yeah, I was just thinking that like, what are the first things that I notice? And so, like walking up the stairs so like there's this pretty long staircase that i need to go up on when i'm walking home that one feels noticeably easier as i get leaner and then there's some, some unpleasant stuff which are not related to this but the reason i don't like getting too fat is like i sweat more while i eat and like some gross things like that and then what well, uh so Honestly, my cardio conditioning is actually really shit uh, so much so that I'm actually going to sign up to like a, a spinning class with my wife. Uh, it will be a nice like mutual project that we'll have because I, I really need some extra. Like I noticed the other day that I was changing the weights on an easy bar 
And I got out of breath from that. It was like, yeah. okay, like, come on, this is ridiculous. Like, this is not supposed to happen. And like, I, part of the reason I like low reps so much is, is probably because of that. Because I, I don't like, even on a leg extension, I don't want to do 10 reps. I would rather do five and then sure. destroy my knees. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that, that's the one. And I, so that's also not so much cardio conditioning, but I do notice, like now, for example, I did like, um, two day but not fast but very much like protein sparing modified fast but not even sparing that much like i ate very little and i i was doing chin-ups and it like at my elbow like for example it felt so much nicer and i mean that had to have been because because of like lower joint inflammation or something like that and that i always noticed that when i'm bulking after some point my joints start feeling worse and not on like body weight loaded things necessarily only so like even on a row or something like a chest supported row, my elbows hurt more. So um, I know none of these are like cardio conditioning so much, but just consequences of eating a lot and getting heavier. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I think most, well, I don't say most, but a lot of people feel worse joint wise while dieting just because I guess they feel like things are less lubricated. Yeah, after a point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely notice a difference though with cardiovascular conditioning. If I'm like 185, uh, that's when I was like working on the mile time, clear improvements in time. And, and just even just, I, I would say general activity, I just felt like I could go longer versus if I was, you know, bulked up to my heavier, like 210, 215. Like I remember playing racquetball at close to 220. And I mean, it was a clear difference. Now that's like an actual sport versus just walking around. But I mean, I was clearly winded compared to when I was below 200. So there's a point where I'm just like, oh, and, and actually I'm almost surprised you guys don't feel it more because most of my friends do comment on it as they get to like 200 plus. There's a pretty noticeable difference. Even one of my friends who's like very good at cardio, always doing cardio. He was just kind of forever lean, like staying around like 170. And I just finally got him to bulk up told him like you know you should push to even 190 and he commented that he noticed a big difference too even just going and that's not that heavy but uh, i would think most people would notice like a 20 pound difference i mean i definitely notice it just not, not not so much on that but i mean i don't know like if someone is as poor at cardio conditioning as i am so like getting out of breath on things where you're really not supposed to I mean, is, is it enough to just get leaner? I mean, don't you need to do something like more targeted to improve it? Like, noticeably? yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, certainly I would recommend also exercising <laughs> in addition to it. Yeah. I mean, you get, you know, some of these like NFL guys, obviously like elite of elite, but they're, it's actually amazing how fast some of these guys who are 250, 300 pounds can move. It's like pretty incredible. So, um, yeah. so to dive into first real topic here today this is something i kind of tease on other podcasts and I, I don't know if there's really an answer but you know if we look at frequency and volume that people discuss in terms of how you know people talk about well if you split it up even if it's the same volume it was talked for years that well two times frequency three times frequency is better more recent years it's kind of been like well is it better or is it just that you can use frequency to distribute higher amounts of volume right if you're doing 20 sets of back you're not necessarily going to want to do that in one day although some people do if anything though i've actually seen some people talk about and again maybe a little bit more in the enhanced world talk about a per session volume saying that you know if you were to just do one set of biceps per day 
that's not enough. Maybe six sets per week is fine or 12 sets is fine, but not two sets per day. There has to be some level of stimulus. And it's when I think about it, I've never seen anything in the literature to suggest that. Uh, intuitively, it almost seems like it would make sense, though. Like if I was going to train for cardio, I couldn't just run one minute and then like a couple hours later, run one minute, even if it all added up to like a significant amount of time during the week. Like you'd think there would have to be some level of accumulation, but I was going to leave that broadly. What do you guys think? Um, well, I think you raised two very important questions that are separate, but also linked. And that's the question of frequency and its importance. And then the question of intensity and its importance. I think that we've all heard, it's very popular nowadays, people who are starting to claim that frequency doesn't matter at all. Right? What only matters is the number of total sets weekly. So whether you do 20 sets on Monday or 5555 on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, doesn't really matter. I think that this is completely untrue, personally. I don't know what you guys think. We'll see what you guys have to discuss. But I think that this is not taking into account muscular fatigue. It's not taking into account junk volume. It's not taking into account relative intensity. The fact that if you do 20 sets, your first five might be like pristine, top quality volume. And then the next five are going to be sort of okay. Next five are going to start to really be fatigued for the same muscle. And then the last five are going to be total garbage. If you look at the weight you're going to use, compared to the first set, it's going to be slashed 25 to 30%, at which point it's not effective anymore. So why not take these five sets and put them somewhere else in the week? If we apply this logic, why not take the 20 sets and this? dispatch them for four days throughout the week some people can't do that because they don't train enough days in the week in which case it's fine to do all of your sets on one day but if you can the more frequently you can train the better the intensity of the sets the better your recovery so the better the gains and then there is the question of again the intensity of these sets and what it's going to do to your muscles the top set is the most important one because it's the one that you're going to be the freshest at you're going to get the most reps with the highest intensity so that could lead also to a mindset of one set, right? It's the, it's the Mike Menzo mentality, the first set. That's all you really need, right? But then it's like, all right, well, if that set is really good at 100%, the second set is still really good. It's 80, 80 like 98%. You still want that. You'll still get much better gains with two sets rather than one. So then it's a question of what is the least amount of sets you can get? What is the most amount of sets you can get? And finding a sweet in between. My sweet in between is three to four, pushing sometimes to six to seven to eight on one day for one muscle. And I know that Geoff is completely different. Yeah, it's, it, it does require experimentation. Uh, and I've just found that I'm on the higher end of that. And I mean, if you look at my sets, I think someone who is into high intensity training would look at my volume and be like, oh, well, he's just like, fluff and pumping the muscle or he's just sandbagging the sets like this is probably four five six rir right but then they actually see the sets and they're like oh oh they're actually still pretty pretty damn hard sets it's just that i can recover from a lot it could be from my history as a distance runner but you know i found through experimentation that i can just do a lot of work and still recover and i still go for a two times per week frequency you know if i did so much work that it would take me a week to recover yeah, I would say that I would be better off splitting it up. And my general rule of thumb is two times per week frequency as sort of a starting point. And then you can maybe go to 1.5 if you need to. So for example, right now on RDLs, I found that 
lower volume actually does work because it's a very stressful and stimulatory exercise for me. Whereas something like a chest supported row, I mean, I could probably recover from, you know, 20, 30 sets per week just because it's a totally different exercise. Whereas RDLs, you know, two sets, even as low as one set sometimes, if it's a really, really hard set, is completely fine every six days. Like for me, that's what allows for some really, really, really good progression. And I've done once every three days. Progression is not any better. And in fact, often it is worse. I've done like 15 sets of RDLs, all of them hard in a single workout. And it just, you're just tired, right? It is at that point, it is junk volume because it's already a stimulatory exercise. So I think you always have to take into account what is the exercise? What is your work capacity? What is your recovery capacity? Uh, and then base your frequency off of that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Dave and you and I talked about this multiple times, I know, and it, it's still something that I'm thinking a lot about because, uh, like this is one of those topics that for me always comes back to like so what actually causes muscle growth like do we like like what is our best guess and the thing is that the idea that it's just about weekly sets and the frequency doesn't matter or, or matters little like that would be that would be true if like let's say well, if all that matters is just the mechanical tension aspect, like how much total weight are you lifting and like how much extra like load is on the muscle, uh, well, not on the muscle, but how much load are you handling in total? How many reps are you doing? And so like, ba like basically what is the accumulated amount of work that you do? Then I think basically that would be a good argument for higher frequencies, but it would also just mean that it doesn't really matter. Like as long as you arrive to the same place, it will be good enough. In that case, also, like, it would be interesting to see, like, okay, so if I'm losing some tonnage because I'm training only, say, once a week, I'm doing a huge chest day. So, yes, the total loads by the end of it are going to be smaller. So the total, like, volume load is also going to be smaller. But if I did a few more sets, then would it be as good as training more frequently? Because... I would not be surprised if that was the case, actually, because like we see that um, lifters that are doing the bro split are typically also doing higher volumes for that muscle group. And not always, but but frequently, like these 30 sets, like these are common with, with pro bodybuilders, for example, but pro bodybuilders usually will do a, a bro split. Again, not always, but, but it's pretty common. And then uh, the other thing is, so what you mentioned i'm not sure how much like the metabolic like fatigue aspect plays a role here so like does it actually matter that like okay so you like reach this like higher muscle activation level or whatever but now that you actually keep hammering that and like really like inroad or fatigue the muscle even more acutely like does that have an impact on things because yeah the cardio example that you brought up yeah, for cardiovascular fitness, it would not be good enough to just do like two minutes of cardio every day and then like, you know, accumulate it over the week. But for calorie burning, I mean, it would be almost as good, right? Like it, whether you walk like 15,000 steps, like at one go or distribute it over the day, it still matters some because you will be tired by the end of the 15,000 at one go. So those final steps are going to be slower and more lethargic. 
but it's much, it's much closer to being the same compared to the cardio fitness example. So long story short, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I would guess that it's closer to the, ca- the calorie burning example is in that it's going to be similar, but not quite the same. So, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting. Like you said, like the calories, it's, it's almost entirely just, you know, what is accumulated over time with the cardio, I think, so you could say, well, the difference there is that with the sets, you go to failure, whereas cardio, there is like an accumulation of fatigue over like, let's say 30 or 40 minute run. But you could also say, well, you could just do a sprint, you could do a one minute all out sprint. And I don't know if this ever been tested if somebody did a one minute all out sprint, three times a day, every single day, like, you know, what would the effects of that be? I have no idea. But I still feel like there has there's something to be said for pushing your vo2 higher in that case right like you just wouldn't achieve i don't care how fast you sprint if you did one minute you're not going to achieve a very high vo2 um and maybe the the analogy to that would be maybe there is something in the session where even if you were to go to failure on one set there's some unknown accumulation of fatigue uh metabolite buildup whatever that happens over a whole session that is required too again i don't know the answer but um so nh and you gave a pretty clear answer but I would ask, like, let's say you just took in a muscle in isolation. So like your biceps, how many sets per week are you doing right now, roughly? So right now I'm in a phase where I finally am trying to grow them again. So what I'm doing right now is um, on a weekly basis, I will do between eight to 12 sets of biceps. Total. Total. Okay. And I will always make sure I split them. So I would prefer to be able to do four, four, four. It will always be my favorite approach because this is when I can exert the most force with the best intensity. If I find that I will not, because of the way my split is scheduled, be able to meet those 12 sets minimum, I will do eight on one day. But this is my last result. I never like to do this. What would you guess would happen results-wise if you were to instead do uh, two sets six days a week so here i would actually think that it wouldn't be that much different because the the amount of uh, muscular fatigue between two and four sets is not enough to justify splitting the sets on a different day meaning that i can still use the same way to the same intensity for four sets and have pretty similar amount of reps and effort production but if I push it to eight sets, that's when my muscle starts to take a, a dive when it comes to performance. And I think that depends right, between individuals to individuals. Geoff has an ability to replicate effort with similar loads for longer periods of time throughout more sets on the same day. So he's a more endurance type of athlete. athlete. I'm a more uh, explosive type of athlete, even though I'm not that explosive at all. But see, I think he is more of a freak when it comes to this, and I'm more of an average guy. I think that most people are like this. Most most people will find that if they do four heavy sets of upper back, they might be able to get four more heavy sets after that. But I scarcely see people able to replicate that amount of effort for 20 sets like Geoff does. That's unheard of. So for the vast majority of the population, it's best to stay within something that is going to sound reasonable, like four to eight on one day for one muscle. I, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Jeff is a lot of a norm there. I mean, for me, it's like, two sets of a given exercise I'm like or even like the first the difference between the first and the second if i go to near failure is such a huge drop off for me so that would you know i think the general principle of you know split it up when 
too much volume has accumulated for that day. I guess I'm more getting at the other extreme of the people who think it would actually be worse in the situation of two sets six times a week or one set where they actually believe they're like, I guess just to be direct with it, do you think there's any validity that on a given day you need to do at least a certain number of volume rather than take it where I think you guys are looking at it as, oh, when should we split up and increase uh, frequency? It's more like, is there actually a negative to too much frequency with low per session volume? Yes, I think that the first one is uh, practicality. Because for the vast majority of people, it's not doable, right? Especially if you're a complete bodybuilder and you train everybody about, put them on a piece of paper and try to train them every single day, every time you can, and you'll find out that you end up with sessions that make no sense, are too lengthy, happen too many times a day. We have jobs, we can't do that. So even if it comes at a price, it's best sometimes to pair the sets together and do your four or do your eights instead of doing your two. Then there's also the question of amount of warm-ups required. Because warming up is necessary, but it doesn't do much to your muscles. It doesn't grow your muscles. It's still volume. It does something. But if you end up having to warm up every single time for only two sets, now you multiply the amount of times you warm up throughout the week. So the total global volume you get now is being skewed more and more towards low intensity because you attempted to always get high intensity sets. So you sort of shoot yourself in the foot by doing this also because now a lot of your workload in reality does nothing. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the two no. practical reasons are both good. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I think, again, this kind of like depends on the movement for me. You know, if it's something like a, a rear delt raise or something like that, I think you can go super high frequency, you know, two sets per day and it would be totally fine. But again, like going back to the RDLs today that I did, I mean, I just need a lot of warm-ups to get up to the working weight, even though I'm not even super strong. Um I hit 150 kilos, 330 pounds for 12. And I only did one set because I finished the set. And then I was like, am I going to do a back down set? And I put 120 kilos on the bar. And I, I have the experience now to know that it just wasn't even worth it because I'd already done enough. So I think if you've done enough to trigger, you know, that, that chemical cascade or whatever is happening in the muscle. And after a while you can sense when that happens I think at that point, you're just good. Like, just go home, rest, recover. Mm. You're fine. It's just that for me, on some muscle groups, like my back, my chest, basically everything except like RDLs or squats or something, it's a lot more volume to get to that point for me. You know, for me, if I did one set of failure on pulldowns, I'm not sure if that would even do that much for me, right? Like, I actually might need a little bit more volume as a minimum in a session. It's just that I, I think I'm, I am a little bit of an outlier there and most people don't really need to worry about a, a minimum amount of volume that they're doing. Um, especially if the sets are genuinely hard, I, I don't think there's a really a minimum and you know, one set or, or maybe two sets is usually enough. And then I usually write in like two to three sets on a movement um, just because realistically, most people are not going super 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 all out and so maybe they could use that third set sure uh just i think if we are being fully honest so like if we discount the, the practical stuff so let's say the in an alternate universe you somehow you're always warmed up or warming up is not an issue like that's your full-time job like you're getting 
$10,000 for extra, every extra pull-up that you do or whatever. Is there a downside, like like chemically, physiologically? The honest answer is I just don't think that we know. Like it's it's something that like science still needs to like investigate a little bit further. And like anecdotally, ex- experientially, it's, it's really hard to tell because these things... So I, I think it's reasonable to have the approach of, okay, if someone wants to do this, their entire training career, like very frequent training, um, like, like for example, um, sometimes I do this when I'm at home, like on the weekends, like I will not go there and have like a workout here in my little like mini home gym. I, I will just like go there here and there and like do a set, come back, type of an email, go back there, do another set. So basically it's like a, a 12 hour workout. So like if I did this all the time, that would be like the highest frequency that you can have. So it's not even like twice daily training. It's like all day training, basically like spread out. Could I have gotten to where I am doing it my entire training career? I don't know. And I, I think it's a reasonable approach to take to say, you know what? I think people should experiment with this. Let's see if you can reach your genetic potential like this. But please, you experiment. I don't want to risk like shooting myself in the foot if it turns out to be stupid in a few years. And uh, but scientifically, I would also say that we have no good reason to to say that it, it would be suboptimal. So I think if someone makes like a really firm stance, like no, no, like you need to whatever do this with the myonuclei and and mTOR and whatever, like that's bullshit. Come on, like we have, yeah, we don't, we just sure. don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. So, all right, so shifting- just to, re- to rebound on this for one yeah. second, because I think that Abel makes a very good point. I think that to sort of conclude on this, something that you see a lot with people who need a lot of technique is that they will do these, these two or three times a day sessions. So Olympic weightlifters will absolutely do that. And you also see that with the with the groove practice. People who want to get better at pull-ups, it's best to do pull-ups every time you can throughout the day instead of having a pull-up session, because it will give you more volume not necessarily more intensity, but more volume, so more technique, more neurological adaptation, and you get better at the lift. So I think that for athletes and for people who want performance, it makes a lot of sense. For bodybuilders who seek muscle damage, whatever happens to the muscle to make it grow, it makes less sense because we're not seeking the technique that much. Technique is a given that we apply to the muscle afterwards. Yeah, sure. So uh, shifting gears here, there's two topics i'm going to get into that are not necessarily in terms of like a clear like you know training related but just kind of generally so one is going to be on uh willpower and the other one is i guess the ethical nature of truth so they're both you know a little bit more philosophy than than training so um so we'll start with the truth related one which we've you know teased in other podcasts as well which is you know, you guys both, and I don't get into like all, all the pills, I guess it's uh, the white pill is the one where you're saying people can do, you know, whatever, right? So, um, y- you know, but everybody kind of has these posts on like, you know, this is achievable. And uh, on my recent podcast, Steve Shaw interviewed me, we were talking about his video on if Jeffrey and um, Alex Leonidas were unique special cases. So where do you guys, do you have a general guideline on giving people blunt truths that we can be reasonably sure are true, but hold back people's potential. And and obviously we're talking about fitness here, but this could be applied to many things in life versus kind of more so portraying the, you can do anything you set your mind to mindset that inevitably is not true. 
but allows people to potentially shoot for further gains or further progress, greater goals, and then come ahead compared to where they would have been if they had heard the blunt truths. I'm not going to start because I'm going, it's going to last two hours. I'm yeah, going I was going to say, this feels like it's start. like NH's wheelhouse. So I think, Jeff, it would be good for you for this one because you, I've seen more yeah. on your um, post recently that, and, and just as a very uh, side rant here, there's times where I think depending on when you come across a certain person, you could be like best friends or like, you know, enemies, right? Like I think some of my friends, like, you know, what we agree on. And I could imagine a universe where like Jeff and I never met formally and somebody's like, hey, Jeff, have you heard of this Dave McConey guy? He says there's a natural limit or like Dave, like this Jeff guy can't be natural. He's saying that there's there's no limit. I mean, like, oh, screw this guy, you know, but um, obviously that's where like actually getting into the nuance helps. So um, I think you have general more promotion, Jeff, of, hey, like, I, pu- don't set limits, push harder. And, and you know, your experience kind of backs that up yeah um for me hold on a second let me close the door sure. there's no escaping jeff i'm just kidding <laughs> tough question no um wife just got home um so for me do you have a duty to tell the truth exactly or do you have a duty to try to like inspire people and like where do you go along that that sort of spectrum because sometimes those are aligned, but sometimes those aren't hundred percent the truth. Um, and, you know, I sometimes get people where their goal physique is, is, you know, probably not going to happen. Right. It's, you know, their goal physique is David laid. And I'm like, you know, they're kind of skinny fat with narrow clavicles and a wider waist. And I'm like, well, and, and <laughs> in that case, you know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. And I would rather be, you know, upfront and truthful because it is literally impossible. It's just never going to happen, right? And that, so in that case, it's very clear, you know, what the right thing to do is. You know, don't sort of say, "Oh yeah, for sure, yeah, you you can do it. Just work hard." Um, but I think most people can go way, way further than they think. You know, most people are not even. I mean, in terms of knowledge or consistency or effort, I mean they're not even close to where they could be. Uh, and so they think they have terrible genetics, but they've just been sort of messing up the process. And, you know, I've had so many people message me saying like, you inspired me to train harder or like your progress has been amazing. I've been, you know, following along and that's actually helped me a lot as well. And, you know, I try to be as truthful. I mean, truth is my middle name, right? So I try to be as truthful as possible um, in terms of being realistic it's just that when you're speaking to a general audience, you don't know what that is going to be for every single person. So it's possible someone watches my videos, you know, trains really hard, learns a lot, is very consistent, and they still don't get to their goals, but I don't know exactly what their goals are. So it's, it's, it's tough for me to sort of you know, balance those two. And um, in terms of like a natural limit, I guess that's sort of a... a a different and big topic, but I don't really see any evidence for it. I, I don't, you know, I see a cluster of naturals around certain levels, but there's always a way to improve if it, it is really, you know, a priority. 
and it might be, it might not be a massive amount. It might not be 10 pounds of muscle. Um, it might not even be five pounds of muscle, but there are so many places where someone can actually, you know, quote unquote, optimize if they really, really want to. And I see a lot of people who, you know, they claim to really want it. But then you look at, you know, their training and their setup and their effort and then their diet and, you know, are they prepared to actually do those little things? And more often than not, they aren't really as dedicated or disciplined as they think they are. Um, and so if, if they actually get those small things, and sometimes it's big things too, right? Someone's like natural limit and they're getting four hours of sleep or something. I've seen stuff like that all the time. So hey, what's wrong more with often this? than not, yeah, more often than not, there, there are always ways to improve. Uh, so then I'll go next and then NH can go on the 12 hour uh, rent or whatever was the promise. Uh, so uh, for me, it's the like, I'll, I'll react to you, Jeff, first, because like, I think you're a good example of um, where I can sort of see both the 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 type of inspiration that I think is good, even if it's not, not I wouldn't say a white lie, but maybe you could be more blunt. Um, and, uh, but, but at the same time, like it serves a, a good purpose and it's not, not that big of a bending of the truth where it could be problematic. So I see both that, but every once in a while you will have the kind of video where I, I think that you go a little bit too far in, in the inspiration versus being blunt kind of direction. And, and, and that's just my perspective. Like I, I'm not even saying that you do it deliberately. You, you might be like, think what you're saying like 100% and that's completely fine. Uh, you had one like a month ago or so where, I mean, I don't want to paraphrase you too much, so don't quote me on this, but it was something like uh, more or less explicitly said to people that like, I think that almost everybody could get to where I am and where Alpha Destiny is or Alex Leonidas is. Um, he has a bigger chest than me because he he is stronger. He just worked harder at the bench. I have a bigger triceps because I worked harder at tricep extensions. And I don't understand why people don't get to where I am because I'm literally telling you what what I'm doing. So like it, it does not make sense why you're not here. And and, and to me, that, that was a little bit too much. Like I, I think that... Um, it's like you you could could have been as inspirational um without promising people something that like and like that's that that's that's a really like high standard that you said like like are you sure that like really if if most people did everything possible like they would actually get there okay i'm not sure you said that most people but like you yeah, made it out to be like easier than what it, yeah no no the, yeah that's that's, that's <laughs> we'll too much, give yeah. jeff time to rebut this after you're done <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 no sorry like I, I shouldn't have said that you you i have no idea if you said most people um but that was sort of like the feeling that i got from it that if i was just kind of the average joe out there like watching this i would think like but okay, okay god that i'm gonna i'm gonna do what he's gonna do and i think i'm gonna get there whereas like I think that someone can be very, very inspired in training and can have a very healthy mindset and be very hardworking by getting inspired first and not think that they can look like Jeffrey very discofield. Cause I think at, like you're so freaking jacked that I think it's not, not demotivating for anyone to hear that. Yeah. Like Jeffrey has very good genetics. So even if you don't get there, you could be still be doing very well. Like, for example, look at these guys, like they are not as big as Jeffrey, 
they look pretty good as well, right? Um, and so, yeah. And one last thing, and I would actually love actually both uh, both NH and Jeffrey to react to, um, is I mean this kind of mindset that you know inspiration versus telling the truth at all costs. Um, that is the number one weapon of fake netties, right? Or not a weapon, but but that's their main justification for themselves. That's what, like Liver King, like how many times he has said that I was trying to make people, like people are hurting at a rapid rate or what was he saying all the time? <laughs> so I was just uh, trying to inspire them. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm going to finish with. And please react. Yeah, so, yeah, so I definitely have never... So I've, I've seen this comment, not a lot, but once or maybe twice where someone said something like, you're saying you have average genetics. And I've never said I have average genetics. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that my genetics are not average. Uh, I mean, I have almost a 30-inch waist at six feet tall and 200 pounds. I mean, yeah, I don't, I, that's, that's structural. Like, that's a gift, right? Something like height is, is clearly genetic. Something like waist size, clearly mostly genetic. It's not like I'm selling waist trainers over here. Um, but I, I, I think in that video, I said, everyone can improve because I get messages from people in their second or third year of training and they've plateaued. And then again, I delve a little deeper and they're missing really, really big, important things. And so when I see someone like Alex Leonidas still making progress after 13 years, I'm not saying everyone can get to his level, but people can take inspiration from the fact that he's way further than them and he's still making progress. Right. So it's not that they can reach his level, but they can make at least similar progress. That's what I was referring to. So not his level, but the amount of progress mm -hmm. that he's making incrementally. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I get people whose goal physique is me. And, and I really discourage that because, you know, muscle insertions matter. You know, waist size is definitely a factor. And then realistically, a lot of this is my job. Right. Like most people are not going to have the time. Well, maybe they'll have the time, but they won't necessarily have the the whole setup that I have, the like the um, genetics to put into that. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's important to be realistic. But at the same time, you know, most people could do with a good amount of inspiration. Um, and especially with regards to, you know, what is naturally possible. Got it. All right, and each have at it. <laughs> All right, let's go. So, um, I first I want to I want to expand on the distinction between intention and consequences, because when you talk about the truth, what matters at first is why is this person saying this? Abel said something very very interesting. Fake natives use the truth as a weapon. They will tell you, "Oh, yes, of course, you can look just like me if you buy my products." There's always an if. There's always an attached condition to their truth. I think that this is the first thing that people need to have an eye open for. For Geoff, for myself, for you guys, there's no if. There's no if you do this, you will get there. The if is hard work. Or the if is if you follow this method. So worst case scenario, you follow it, it doesn't work. But you are not scammed, right? You are betrayed, potentially because the consequences didn't actually match the intention. But... It's not, it's not evil, right? We're not doing that to crush your dreams. We really think you can get there. Geoff, when he tells you that you can get better, 
believes that. He doesn't have an evil plan behind like, oh, I'm going to sell more ebooks. He doesn't work like this. So that's important. After that, the consequences is, of course, going to be up to the person and you can't control that, right? We can say, oh, everyone can look big as much as we want. We don't know that. We don't know the individual circumstances of the people. It might not actually work like this. It's certain that you're not going to look like Geoff. Most likely, you never will. Because if it were as easy to look like Geoff, everyone would look like him. We would have a ton of naturals at 200 pound lean. We don't see that. Could it be that he has top genetics? Maybe. It could also be that he has top work ethic. I think that I'm in a position myself where I have worse chronicle genetics than Geoff, and that can be corroborated by like measurements. I have a 36 inches waist. I have six, six inches wrists. I have very narrow clavicles. I have a ton of things that people say, well, if you have this, you're, you're screwed, right? What, light, wide waist, small wrist, small joints means you'll never get big. I think I did something pretty good for myself. I have a pretty good physique. These are all traits that I think a lot of people can actually relate to that they would think is going to lead to a bad physique. But if they look at me, they can say, well, this guy did it. Why not me? This is my approach when I tell people, hey, if I did it, you can do it too. Because I'm not special in that regard. I don't have special genetics. Then there's the question of will. And we're going to segue into this. I think that outside of genetics, will is the most important thing. The reason why people get big is because they have a strong will. And their will eventually matches their body. You look at Alex Leonidas, 13 years in the gym, still progressing. Is it because he's special? Maybe. But I think that what's special in him is it's his mindset. He never gave up. He had plenty of opportunities to give up. He never did. So incrementally, he got more and more gains. This is also the issue with something that Abel spoke about, where he said, hey, like you can't tell someone, just do this and you'll look like me. It doesn't work. And he's correct. It doesn't, he doesn't work. Right. Why? Because it's happening right now. Right? The person is listening to it right now. They haven't put in the work yet. What you can tell them is, if you put in the work, you might look like me. But the average person doesn't understand this. People want everything now. Right? When someone tells you, I want to look like this, my question is, when? In two weeks, that won't happen. But in, in 10 years, maybe. I think that pretty much everything is possible in 10 years, save for a few goal bodies. So it's also the problem of the timeline. And this is when we segue back into the will. No one trains for 10 years. I haven't trained seriously for 10 years. I think that 99.9% .9 of lifters haven't trained for 10 years. Geoff as well. And look at his two physique. Years. Two years. See? Yeah. I have two really good years. Only two. And the rest were like clearly stuff wrong with them. Not terrible, but two solid years. The last two years. So imagine Geoff with 10 years of solid training. With the way he looks now. That's also my issue. This is the question of standards. It's fine to have unrealistic standards because it pushes people to get better. Low standards are not acceptable. We need to do better. And this is when the question of the natural limit is being taken care of because the natural limit is a social construct. It's not biological. It's never been proven biologically that at some point the muscle says, you know what? Screw you. I'm not growing anymore. It doesn't exist. You will see, I'm going to do Madame Irma Nostradamus right now. You will see that in five to 10 years, the natural standards are going to be much higher than they are now. Because the influencers that are natural giving advice are going to push the standards themselves and the group is going to naturally replicate the results and we're just going to get better and better. Uh, can, I, can I react one more thing? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think both of you guys said uh, 
made some very good points and said some very interesting things. Um, and what one thing that I think is 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 missing from a lot of this, though, is if if we are being honest, like there's an elephant in the room with with all of this, and that is, I think the internet is still waiting for like one transformation case study, which like the people that are looking for that inspiration maybe are discouraged, but they are like very cerebral lifters that are actually really putting in the work and they are frustrated because it's it's not happening. Maybe they haven't been lifting for 10 years, maybe not even for five, but you know, I, I actually have worked with and interacted with a lot of these lifters, like, you know, one, two, three years, let's, let's say two, three years. They have actually been really putting in the work, following good sources, working hard, and it, it, they are making some progress, but like it, it's just not that super impressive. And I think these people are still waiting for this first transformation video on YouTube that still hasn't come around. And a client of mine just reminded me of this uh, recently, where he said, you know, uh, transformation videos usually discourage me because by year two, all of them will have sur surpassed me. <laughs> um, and I, I'm yet to see one video, he said, where like the person doesn't look like very impressive or, or like much more impressive than me now, let's say after two years. So like, let's say year three, they are like still like me, let's say. And then year four, a bit better, year five, a bit better. And year 10, it's a really, really good physique. Like I'm still waiting for that first video. And unfortunately he's right. It, it just never happens. So like for like, like both you, uh, NH and, and Jeff, like, both of you have done phenomenally with your transformation. Like, yeah, like NH, you, you're a true inspiration for any skinny kid. But um, there was one moment, like in your transformation video, like when you did that first big bulk, like you went from a athletic kid, like maybe like at the late, like end of puberty still, uh, you were like a late bloomer physically, like, maybe like hormonally as well from like judging from your pictures when you were younger like uh, i i was like whatever i probably had a beard like in the uterus like i don't know <laughs> i was very early bloomer um and and it was like a night and day difference like it was like you know something is happening like yeah maybe this guy is moving his body and then boom like monster and then you cut down and I mean, that was basically the foundation of the physique that we are seeing now with you. You have made improvements since, for sure. But at that point, like you went from an NH embryo to NH. Like since then you have went to like NH plus. But like those people that are like still waiting for that moment where like they could go from whatever Joey embryo to Joey. And it's still an embryo after three years. Like Like for them... It's it's really really hard to take that on board uh, some sometimes. So oh, sorry, very long monologue, you guys. Uh, no, it's it's good because it it does make sense and it's true. If you look at my transformation with the slide, it's like kid, 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 and then boom, I got. It looks like I just got big, but look at when this happens within my journey. It happened, I think, when I was twenty two. So it was seven years into my lifting journey. Seven years. If I had been one of these guys looking at transformations from kids who are at like 16, they look massive, I could have been like, well, I clearly have been working longer than them and nothing has happened. So this must be not by genetics. At which point I would have stopped and I would have 
stay the tadpole for the rest of my life. I would have never become a frog. But I never was exposed to these sources. And I just kept going and kept going and kept going until one day I was buff. And it's something I, I tell people a lot. You will wake up one day buff. And this makes no sense because we're naturals. It's supposed to be a slow process. We don't just explode in size. Yes, but your mind doesn't realize your results until one day you're like, damn, I made it. Like, I there mean, I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, it worked. It's, it's all, it almost feels magical psychologically. But the problem is getting to that point. And this is when our job is to encourage people and say, hey, you're not big right now, but that's fine. I wasn't big for my first five years of lifting. People didn't even know I was lifting. I looked like a guy playing basketball. I was 160, but I kept going. I never stopped. And then eventually I got to a point where people now are like, wow, clearly you have, you were gifted because you transformed. Yeah, I transformed after like eight years of training. I think that if that's what it takes, then pretty much anyone can do it. Right? I don't know say, if you're going to look like me, but if you put in the work, you can do it. Did you say any age that you don't have 10 years of training yet? So this is a, an important distinction between the amount of time you've been training and the amount of time you've been training seriously. I've been training since I was 15, but when I was 15, I was doing push-ups on my knees and I was calling chairs. I started going to a gym when I was 21 or 22, but even then I was doing random powerlifting stuff. I really think I started training seriously when I was 25, so it's been three years. I'm not saying that the training I did before did nothing because it's most of what I did, right? But I only really start counting my series of training starting three years ago. So two points on that. One, I, I don't know if you can really say simultaneously, hey, you know, I've been training since I was 15 and it wasn't until I was eight years in that I really noticed stuff as if, hey, I've been grinding and it took this long while simultaneously saying, well, I was also just doing like push-ups in my house. Like, because by the first statement, you're kind of making it sound like despite starting so early, it took so long. And in the second statement, you're saying, well, that really wasn't that serious anyway. Fair. I would say here that the reason why it wasn't that serious is because it couldn't be that serious because I did not possess at the time the ability to do anything else. And it's not just material-wise. It's not just, oh, I couldn't go to a gym. It's also because I was so weak that this is all I could do. Push-ups on my knees sounds like nothing to me now, but back then it was all I could do. I would do five and be spent, literally. I would do two sets and I couldn't move anymore. This is why I said that I, I started very small and then I expanded. If you had put me in a gym back then, I couldn't even bench the bar. I'm not kidding. I couldn't squat the bar. Like, I, was, I was so low on the totem pole of strength that I could do nothing. Many people are like this. Many people are going to have to need that transition period until they get to a point where they can actually work seriously. For me to know how to train and to start training seriously, I needed that period. It's, I, I, I'm, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I get that comment a lot. People say, well, you say you started training seriously now, but what about the start, right? This shows that you have good genetics. You didn't get good results at the start because you trained improperly. No, it's just that it was the only thing I could do. And for most people, it's going to be the only thing you can do. Not everyone is going to start pressing 225 incline press. Sure, but for six years or just to start? I mean, you said at, at first, but not past the so, first year, yeah, I would imagine. I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but essentially, this was, this was my training journey. I spent two years doing calisthenics from 15 to 17 in my bedroom. Push-ups, pull-ups, anything I could do. I could curl chairs, and it was enough. Intensity and volume-wise, it was enough. I was growing. 
but I grew from 110 to 130 doing this. It's 20 pounds of lean mass. It's not that impressive, but for me, it was my start. Then from 17 to 20, I did dumbbell movements. So I had a set of dumbbells in my bedroom. Every day I would do rows, curls every day. Anything I could do with the dumbbells and imagine, I would do. I went from 130 to 160-ish, 170-ish doing that. So that's 30, 40 pounds of gains in three years. At the end of that, I have pictures in my transformation. I looked like, again, a guy who plays basketball and who does a few push-ups. It, it took me that long to get to a point where most people look like that naturally. Yeah. Well, that's, that's always a big point in my genetics video. And I think the fact that you and I started so young explains why things also took so long, right? Like you're just, you're obviously not going to be, it doesn't matter how well you train, you're not going to be near your potential when you're 17 or 18. So, you know, I started at 12, but again, more seriously at, I would say 14 and I was 130 pounds. Right. And so by the end of high school, I was like 165, but I'm six one. So again, you're just kind of a less lanky guy. And I mean, it was pretty similar leanness too. I mean, it was literally like 25, 30 pounds probably that was lean mass. But, um, you know, when you start so young, and this is for anybody listening, if you're in high school, it's like you could look at it as a good or bad thing. It's just going to be a more drawn out process because there's no way, I don't, like, like I said, how good your training is. You're not going to be maxed out at 18 or even 20, right? No, yeah, absolutely. And, but I think that the reason why it's still so important to tell people to start young is not necessarily for the muscles that we gain because we still gain a ton of muscle that we would have needed to gain anyways. Mm-hmm. But it's for the discipline. Remember those days in high school where everyone would go party or do something else and we would be regimented. We'd be like, sure. no, I have my training. I have my diet. I have to stick to this. Are these sacrifices? Yes, but I'm glad I did them because it's what now gives you the discipline and the ability to put in the work when it matters most. So I, I think we can circle back to the, um, the ethical aspect, but that I'll jump to the next topic because that's just such a good tie-in for it. Um, I was listening to, and honestly, I don't know, it was just something that popped up on Instagram and some, I guess, celebrity or something. He was pretty obese and he was saying how he's like, you know, it's clearly not a willpower thing. You know, he was worth, I don't know how many millions of dollars, but like very wealthy, whatever. He's like, it's, it's clearly not a willpower thing. You see how hard I work here. You see, I do this. It's not a willpower thing. I just, you know, it's self-hatred or I don't think I deserve to be healthy, whatever. And I thought that was kind of BS. I mean, I'm sure there are instances where, yeah, maybe somebody just doesn't think they're worth it or, you know, whatever. But I, I think in most cases, it's just that there's different willpower can apply to different things in life, right? Like it doesn't actually take me much willpower. And I've told this story before, but I had a friend in, uh, in college and somebody complimented me and said, wow, you have such willpower. And he said, well, I don't know if it's really willpower at this point. It's mostly just a habit. And at the time I was like kind of proud of my willpower. So I was like, oh no, it is willpower. But in reality, it's harder to not exercise, right? I mean, at this point, it's not really willpower. I mean, obviously there are times where you need the willpower to really push, maybe you're really tired, whatever. But for the most part, it's just our lifestyle. And I think in contrast to what this obese celebrity guy was saying is that I think you could absolutely have willpower in business or willpower in this and still not have the willpower to put the fork down or have the willpower to get to the gym. They're different things. And people also experience difficulty. Some people thrive at the gym and aren't successful anywhere else in life, right? I mean, their whole life is a mess, but they're an IFBB pro. So uh, just like a general discussion here on differences in willpower in different areas. 